Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. My name is Ty Hildenbrandt. Joining me, as always, still way over there <laughs> in beautiful, sunny Southern California, my man, Dan Rubenstein. Sir, how are you? I've got a little indigestion. Oh, but no. All things considered. Yeah, Why? No, I, had, I, I made breakfast tacos for lunch and they were a little spicy. And I, I think I overestimated my ability to handle the spice or underestimated as it were. And so here we are. I feel good, though. And there's something about some of these teams that we're discussing on part two of first place losers that it, it's definitely going to cool off my digestion track with some of what they did or didn't accomplish. Ty. So I'm confident I'm going to make it out on the other side here. Likewise, as well, to say the least. Hello, welcome back. I'm Ty. He's Dan. We are the Solid Verbal. Yes, we are still podcasting about tangential college football topics, if you will. Still some doubt as to what's going to happen this season. We're going to try and hope for the best. Maybe expect a little Mm -hmm. bit of the worst. Nonetheless, we are going to be on a schedule here. We're talking every week at a minimum. We're going to be doing some video stuff. we got all sorts of cool stuff still in the chamber as it is only mid-May right now. Dan, got a long way to go between now and whatever comes this fall. Time is a flat circle, Ty. That being said, don't forget to follow along on our Instagram feed at Solid Verbal. We also have a Twitter. We have a Facebook. And of course, there is a popular subreddit at solidverbal.reddit.com. If you'd like to join in on the fun, talk about the verbal Long after the final bell. Also, go on out to our website at solidverbal.com and sign up for the newsletter because when we have cool things to talk about, and I promise you we will have cool things to talk about, that would be your first stop if you want to be the ones to get that information before anybody else. I would also say throw us a note at solidverbal at gmail.com. I'm behind in answering. We're behind in doing QA, Q&A episodes. But as we get into warmer months, Ty... We're going to need to hear from the finest and most elite of verballers, uh, both on the subreddit and at solidverbal at gmail.com. The real ones know, Ty. Solidverbal at gmail.com. Solidverbal at gmail.com. We do read every message. No more nudes. Let's plant the flag. (laughs) As As the messages come in, we do read every one of them. Yes. Yes. But no more nudes, please. Okay. On that note, we have got much to get through. Last week, we did something called First Place Losers. It was runners-up between the 2005 season and 2009 college football season. Not only did we talk about each of those teams and put their seasons and their final games in context, we also ranked them against one another. At the end of that death match, we had 2005 USC effectively running the table in that first grouping of five and coming out on the other end. So... As we get into some of these teams, we're going to compare them all to 2005 USC and see how they rank. That's still the plan? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no right answer here, but it's our show. So who cares? Uh, I I am ready to do this, especially since this is going to be us dissecting and diagnose everything that went wrong with a couple of unfortunate versions of our favorite teams. We get to talk about Oregon twice and Notre Dame once. Why are we doing this yes. show again? It was your idea. Don't ask me. Because we're, we are honoring teams that came up just short. And here's, okay, this is what I'm going to ask you, Ty. Let's just, let's be organized for once in our lives. What? Yeah, I know. Okay, here, here are, I've come up with five questions, Ty. What is, what is the sort of season that led this team to this point? So in the, our first case would be the 2010 Oregon team. We are not going to be labor Oregon Auburn, since we've already discussed this game on our uh, our rewatch game from a few weeks ago, but we'll put into more context and talk about the season a little bit more around it. Could Oregon have beaten Auburn uh, or you know any of these teams? So could this first place loser have beaten the first place team? Ultimately, what held them back? Is there a decent what if about another team, perhaps also high up in? I think all of these are BCS rankings this episode, right? I think Florida State, Auburn. Oh, no, we have the first playoff. The first, the first playoff college at the world end. playoff. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, is there a decent what if about other teams just missing out? And how did this first place loser follow it up the next year in the near future, whatever? I think those are the five things we're going to focus on. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. And why don't we start in 2010 with your Oregon <laughs> Ducks? The Oregon yes. Ducks that year went 9-0 and in the Pac-12. They won the Pac-12. Finished 12-1, and but only after losing in a game we previously discussed, a national championship game we were both at, by a 22-19 score to the Auburn Tigers and, of course, Cam Newton. Now, just to go back and provide some context here, it was a very good Oregon offense. They were fifth, according to the S&P, 47 points per game. Defense was actually really good, too which isn't Mm -hmm. something you always think of when you hear the Oregon Ducks, the Chip Kelly Oregon Ducks, but 14th in the S&P Plus, averaged somewhere in the vicinity of 18, 19 points a game. Overall, again, according to S&P Plus, they were the third best team that season. Yeah, Um, allowing 18, 19, yeah. Allowing 18, 19, sure. So I guess with that kind of as as the groundwork here, Dan, what say you about this team and what led them to this point of even getting into this football game? So the context that you need to keep in mind is this is year two of Chip Kelly as the head coach, year four of Chip Kelly in Eugene. He was the offensive coordinator for two years, as everybody remembers. Um, Jeremiah Masoli led the team to the Rose Bowl in 2009. Also, that was the season LeGarrette Blunt was suspended for a good chunk of the season after punching Byron Hout of Boise State out or punching him after they lose that game in 2009. Jeremiah Masoli leads them to the Rose Bowl, and then the following early spring is arrested for theft, stealing, I think, a laptop and a guitar. He is suspended for the season. So Darren Thomas, who had been in the program for a couple of years, He comes in and leads the team to an undefeated record in his first year starting. No Jeremiah Masoli. Obviously, Masoli eventually makes his way to Ole Miss. But Oregon, really, they have, I guess, a couple scares, but they have a successful season. It's not a crazy talented team, but they they end the season in a three-point loss to Auburn, as we've discussed, to Cam Newton and Auburn. Michael Dyer, in my humble opinion, was down. (laughs) Their scares... Their scares were limited to a 15-13 win at Cal and then going down 21-3 to to a crazy talented Stanford team in Jim Harbaugh's final season. This is in Eugene, and they go on a 49-10 to run from that point on and drop 50 on Stanford. They win that game 52-31. to Otherwise, close call-wise, they don't really exist. And not a, a crazy non-conference schedule. They win at Tennessee. There's a lightning delay in that game. But... Ultimately, a, a really successful season. They're, I don't think they've maxed out the, the sort of Chip Kelly or the Chip Kelly-ish era with Mark Helfrich at the tail end of it. But a solid team, an experienced team, and a well-coached team that didn't really have too much in doubt before the national championship game. Let's go back to Darren Thomas for a second. As he said, interesting okay. circumstances that brought him to be the signal caller for the Ducks that mm-hmm. year. Came in. Threw 30 touchdowns, ran for five more. He was not a guy that was going to blow you away, but he was remarkably consistent. Each year he played, he got a little bit better, and he was really good for that system. He could use his legs if he had to. He obviously could hand the ball off to a Michael James, who was sort of the the feature back and had almost 2,000 yards from scrimmage in that 2010 campaign. Heisman finalist for sure. It, the the offense as a whole was largely a function of what well Mike could do in space, but Darren mm-hmm. Thomas was the he was a trigger man. So whether he was handing handing it off to James or whether he was throwing the football to Jeff Mail, who benefited greatly from well Mike as well, he he was sort of the guy who really made the whole thing work, and he did a hell of a good job. He really did. I remember going back and watching this game, and. We commented in our previous show about how he had some early yips and there were some throws that he missed. Maybe he didn't look like his optimal self, but still, by and large, over the course of the season, if it weren't for him having such a good campaign, none of this happens. 
Yeah, he he is an all-time underrated Oregon quarterback. He put up great numbers. He he led them back in big games and you know, he wins the Rose Bowl the next season against Wisconsin and does have a bit of a down game but makes some big plays in the second half against Auburn. So he is ultimately a good but not great Oregon quarterback who accomplished great things. On the defensive side of the ball, as I mentioned, a a pretty good defensive team for Oregon. Remember, sure. this is a team with Casey Matthews, he had 79 tackles, a bunch for loss. Cliff Harris, John Boyette were fierce in the defensive backfield. 11 interceptions combined between the two of them. Cliff Harris was great at four touchdowns on special teams. Kenny Rowe had seven sacks. So they had players. I don't know if they had the high-end talent that we're going to talk about when we get to 2014 Oregon, but certainly enough, an, enough of a presence on defense to keep this team in games. And as we saw in the national championship, held a really good Auburn offense down to, what, 22 points? They were pretty good. Yes, they were absolutely pretty good. And uh, they were just solid all around. They had built depth. This is, you know, Mike Bellotti leaves Chip Kelly a nice roster. Chip Kelly builds upon it. But there's speed. There's there's intelligence on this defense. There's depth. And that, that ultimately, especially with Chip Kelly bringing in a new defensive line coach paired with Nick Aliotti, the longtime defensive coordinator, they absolutely were a national championship caliber team, not just offense. With that being the context for how they got here, I think we've already established that they could have won this game. This is a close national championship game. Sure. What ultimately held them back? Um... They lost moments early on in the national championship. You know, they're near the goal line. They go for it on fourth down. They don't get it. Um, they allow Nick. They're trying to read Nick Fairley, an unstoppable force. And that works out really poorly for Oregon. Of course, the the unstoppable defensive tackle that year for Auburn. And so they lose moments. Cam Newton does a terrific job of finding mismatches, especially you mentioned Kenny Rowe, a great pass rusher. Not so great when he's caught on a wheel route with a running back or a tight end <laughs> and Auburn won those moments in a very big way. They make the plays at the end of the game. Whether or not you think Michael Dyer was down, Michael Dyer made that play and kept running. And so Michael Dyer made a play that sets up the game-winning field goal. And even though Cam Newton, the Heisman Trophy winner and just an all-time physical legend uh, for for Auburn in college football, Oregon just didn't have the 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 performance maybe on the coaching staff in those big moments when they then when they were knocking on the door to score at various times is there and i know we're we're really playing into your wheelhouse with this question is there a scenario an interesting what if scenario that could have involved a different team not named oregon this is a great question what do you think ty tcu um TCU, I think, was in the Mountain West at the time, but mm-hmm. went 13 and 0 after winning over Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. That was a good TCU team. That was a team with Andy Dalton, I want to say. Sure. Mm-hmm. Andy Dalton, Ed Wesley, remember him? Of course, Wayman James. Jeremy Curley, they had some players on that team that were really, really good, really solid. Mm-hmm. We were in this era where group of five teams were even less valued than they are now. And perhaps TCU didn't get a fair shake. I, it, it probably was never in the cards for them, but they rose to the polls. Like They finished third or, I don't know, pretty high up, definitely in the top five when all was said and done. So I I don't know if it's so much a what if, but definitely a curiosity for me would have been TCU. TCU, because of their defense, absolutely. I'm looking at the polls right now. Um, I'm trying to see where they finished, but they either finished second or third. Um, oh, I'm looking at the wrong Wikipedia page. Ty, don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah. Um, I think just, they finished third so, or fourth. So there was they a really good third team. or fourth. Okay. So the TCU team from the problem is certainly they're playing in a group of five divisions. So they're just not going to to get the respect. And TCU fans will certainly say that should have been us in the national championship. We could have beaten Auburn. You know what? Their defense is such or was such in 2010. They should have been able to hang. They have an NFL quarterback and a defense. Andy Dalton, certainly a winter wonder in taking down Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl that year. I don't know that they have the overall team speed and offensive skill to do it, 
but they certainly had the defense. If Oregon had the defense, there's an argument to be made that certainly TCU had a better defense. TCU, though, they did have a common opponent with Oregon. TCU beats a 5-7 and seven Oregon State team by 9. I think Oregon beat them by 17 or 18 points. So if there's any sort of comparison there, there's that. Stanford finished the year as an extremely strong and talented team, but as mentioned, they lose to Oregon by three touchdowns. Uh, 2010 Ohio State, which I think ultimately they don't have any wins that year because of um, the NCAA looking back at some ineligible players, uh, namely, I guess, Terrell Pryor. Um, they they finish, I think, what, 12-1 and one themselves. They win the Sugar Bowl. Outside of that, I don't think there's a strong enough case. I okay. think there are interesting teams. Wisconsin loses the Rose Bowl, so it's hard to say that they could have hung with Auburn. But we can talk about 2011 Wisconsin a little bit with Russell Wilson and that amazing offense. But I don't think the 2010 version of the Badgers are there. So outside of that, the only other team left, if we're going to talk about a group of five team, and it's probably a better team than TCU, is Boise State. Well, yeah. Boise State is incredible this year. They, in terms of the points per drive, they're number one in both offense and defense. They have a really strong quarterback. This is as talented a Boise State team as there was. They lose that game to Nevada, which I watched the last couple minutes of that tie. <laughs> I felt, I, I felt like I was watching somebody be like be dumped in a public place the the last four minutes of that game with missing those field goals. But ultimately, no, I think Oregon was the right team to to try and challenge Auburn, and they were right there for good reason. Final question, which maybe we can get to at the end. Comparisons yeah. to 2005 USC. Why don't we save that for the very end? I'll write that down. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on to 2011. Your LSU Tigers, Dan. Mine. Yours. The LSU Tigers, 8-0 in the SEC. This was the 9-6 year. This is the game mm-hmm. of the century year. Incredible defenses, both for LSU and Alabama. You'll remember they played in November a 9-6 overtime slugfest that went to LSU. There eventually was a rematch in the national championship between LSU and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Lo and behold, LSU loses that game 21 to nothing in the national championship. So I I went back and I looked at this one, Dan. One touchdown, um, though. One touchdown for one Alabama touchdown. In the national championship. Yeah. I, I'm curious if you would like to provide any more context than just 9-6, because truly 9-6 does a lot of lifting there. Talk about 9-6 right. to a college football fan. I think they know exactly what you mean. Um, but what else was going on in and around the world of college football? How how did we arrive at this point where uh, a rematch in a national title game, which at the time it was like heresy. Oh, my God. So much controversy. <laughs> I remember we talked about it on the show. A yeah. rematch. Who wants a rematch? Of course, SEC people, they wanted the rematch, but no one else wanted the rematch. How did we get to this point that a rematch was possible? And depending on what you think about TV ratings, really, nobody wants no. a rematch. Not a lot of people watch this game, which is fine. Uh, LSU starts the season with the previous first-time loser. I don't know if it happened in that that quick order uh, in previous instances looking back and forward. But LSU opens up the season in Jerry World with Oregon. So this is a first-time loser that largely returns a good amount of players and adds a couple of interesting skill players. But ultimately, Honey Badger and the LSU defense are too swarming and too good. They win that game 40-27. to uh, They don't score a ton against Mississippi State and Starkville, but they get the job done. I, think, I don't think they scored 20 points in that game. This was a team that was led by an absurd defense. If Alabama had this all-time amazing historic defense in 2011, which we can agree they did. LSU was right there. LSU was right there in terms of talent, in terms of performance uh, under John Chavis. They win that game 9-6 against Alabama, but ultimately the rest of the season, there's not a lot of competition within the SEC. They beat down Florida, I believe, in uh, in Death Valley by like 30 points. Uh, the Auburn game isn't particularly close. So they do score points with as much flack as the Les Miles offense and what it turned into later on. This was a a coordinator thrown into service. It's Greg Studrawa. I, I'm always going to screw up that pronunciation because Steve Cragthorpe gets sick before the season. Mm. So that's it's an admirable job having a, a coordinator thrown into the pressure like that. Uh, Jordan Jefferson has 
legal issues going into the season and he is suspended and there's some you know there's controversy about what his actual involvement was in a, a bar fight down in Louisiana and oh, he was, right. He was charged with felonies, but then it was reduced to misdemeanors, and he had all sorts of people that testified and on his behalf saying he was trying to break up the fight. So there's there's all all sorts of news stories and controversy around the offense. Um, it's a very young LSU offense, especially at receiver. It's a what a young Odell Beckham, a young Jarvis Landry, and then we have Ruben Randall and Russell Shepard. So a crazy talented oh, man. receiver core. Running back wasn't especially great. Quarterback wasn't especially great. Splitting time with Jarrett Lee and Jordan Jefferson, but the speed and talent at receiver paired with the talent all over the defense. So it's what Morris Claiborne, Morris Claiborne, uh, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and then Sam Montgomery and Barkevius Mingo and Kevin Minter in the middle. Eric Reed is at safety, Craig Lawson. So this is, it's a crazy talented team that doesn't fully have its act together on offense and they don't ultimately cross midfield in the national championship game. Right. And this is a great what if about other teams. What do you remember about this 2011 LSU team? I think, I I don't know if it's so much a memory. It I, I got a lot out of just looking back. And I think we now have a real appreciation for the skill talent on that team. This, this was a run heavy team. They rotated Jarrett Lee and Jordan Jefferson at quarterback, depending on the situation and, you know, suspension, suspension. situation and yeah. whatnot. But Spencer Ware and Michael Ford got the lion's share of the carries, and Albert Blue and Kenny Hilliard both were worked in, but this was a a run-heavy offense. What's really crazy to me is what you alluded to before. They they legit had four wide receivers. They had six wide receivers who played in the league, but they had four that ended up being what I would consider legit NFL receivers in OBJ and Jarvis Landry, both of whom are very young, just freshmen on this team. OBJ was the second leading receiver behind Russell Shepard and ahead of Ruben Randall, both of whom also played pretty extensively in the NFL. So my question here is really looking back, what happens if you take the 2011 receiving core and put them on the 2019 LSU team? What would they have looked like if they were on this 2019 version of that offense? And by the way, I don't intend that as a swipe at last year's class either, because Justin Jefferson went in the first round. Jamar Chase Chase had almost 1,800 yards. He's probably going to go in the first round next year, but just the sheer depth of talent on this 2011 receiving core, to me, is so striking in hindsight, knowing what what a lot of these guys went on to be. Yeah, I mean, especially if they're upperclassmen, especially what Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry look like later on in their careers, even at LSU in that 2013 offense became quite fun. Uh, Carnage, Ty, that's the answer you're looking for. You're looking for carnage from this team in that Joe Brady, Steve Ensminger, Joel Burrow. That's what you're getting from this, uh, this receiving core. What I think is interesting, one, is what is... What ultimately undoes LSU against a, an Alabama team they've already beaten? To you, what is that? Because <laughs> they could not have won. You can answer that. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't think they could have. Um, it, it, what undoes them is the offense. The offense lets them down. Well, it's it's yeah, it's the offense, it's creativity, and it's the fact that they're playing an all-time, maybe the the greatest college defense ever, the 2011 Bama defense. Unbelievable, right? there's not much you can do against that team. And that's why, like, especially if we're going to discuss uh, other teams potentially in uh, in contention for the national championship that year, it's hard to say, oh, okay, yeah. Oklahoma State, who had a somewhat legitimate case to be considered for this national championship team, not national championship game instead of LSU, they could have made some hay against Alabama. Well, they had a more creative offense, they had deadlier offensive skill players, but you're still trying to move a fortress covered in electric moats covered in, you know, there's so much weaponry on this Alabama defense that I don't know that you can make a strong case. But yeah, ultimately, it's not recruiting and developing quarterbacks, which was something that was going to recur with the LSU offense in Les Miles' tenure over and over and over again. Absolutely. And that was sort of my next point. I've made the point countless times. We saw what happened with LSU this year when they really Mm -hmm. made a a commitment to the right guys developing the offense. They had the right personnel in place to make everything go. But how many times had we heard it before 
in the wake of the Les Miles era at LSU that, oh, we're going to fix the offense. We know offense is a problem. We're going to fix the offense this year. This is the first year they actually did it. It's part of the reason why it's really scary moving forward. Now, Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, they're gone now. Still, we know that Ed Orgeron maybe is smart enough to know his weaknesses. And if he can find a way to try and apply energy with the amount of offensive talent that they have there, just find ways to keep ramping up that offense. It makes him a really scary proposition. Um, final question on this 2011 LSU topic is, are there any other what ifs? If we play the what if game, are there any other sure. what ifs throughout the course of this season that to you are, I don't know, interesting in hindsight? So we absolutely need, if we're talking about finding a team that will get that will cross midfield against the 2011 Alabama defense and scare them a little bit and keep this close and maybe win a couple moments and get a couple breaks and beat this Alabama team because the 2011 Alabama offense was good, not exceptional. It's not a Tua Alabama offense. The 2011 defense is obviously crazy good. So we have Wisconsin has is the most efficient offensive team in the country. That's Russell Wilson, Wisconsin. There are playmakers, but I don't know how good that offense is really. I mean, the, the running backs are good, but the pass catchers to really challenge Alabama down the field, I don't know if they're necessarily there for, for Wisconsin. Oklahoma State has those guys, but I don't think... It was actually a good defense for as, as much as Oklahoma State scored. I would have liked to probably have seen Oklahoma State against this Alabama team more than any other team in the country. Looking back, Stanford had a really good... This was David Shaw's first year. A really, really good team in Andrew Luck's final season in Palo Alto. But Oregon's right behind Stanford, and they shellac them uh, on the farm at Stanford. So that's a hard case to be made when you lose a game as decisively as Stanford lost that game. Oregon's an interesting case. They lose to LSU in week one. So what do they look like later on in the season? Ultimately, I don't think Oregon had the defense to stop Alabama enough. And that's sort of it. 2011 had an amazing bowl season around this 21-0 national championship, including, I think, Houston beat Penn State. Oh, I want to say God. this is the Joe Pa season. Yeah. Is that yeah, the Ticket right. City Bowl? Uh, it was, yeah. This was, I think it's the Rob Bolden Penn State team and the Ticket City Bowl loses to, I think it's Case Keenum's final game. There's just a bunch of weird, oh yeah, that games, that bowl season. Well, this was the 2011 season, I think was the year that Justin Blackman caught like 122 balls or so. It, yeah, I'm looking at it now, 122 balls. That's right. <laughs> 122 balls for 1,522 yards. Justin Blackman, maybe it didn't work out in the league, but as a college player, was was a hell of a presence out there between him and Brandon mm -hmm. Whedon. It was in, and Joseph Randall was on that team. Oh man, yeah, yeah, no, this is a crazy talented offense. The other question that we do have listed is how they followed it up in the near future. Um, a decade later, thereabouts, they won a national championship. Yeah, with, short term though, <laughs> with <laughs> with Joe Burrow. Short term though, it you know. <sighs> LSU had a bit of a run, but it started to kind of be diminishing returns. They don't, I don't, I don't believe after the 2011 season, I don't think they make a BCS game again under Les Miles. No. It's Chick-fil-A, Outback, Music City, Texas Bowl, then he's fired in the middle of 2016. They win 10 games uh, in 2013, but that 10th is their bowl game. So they go 9-3 and three. the previous season, they go 10-2. and two. So they're good. They're a top 15-ish team. But they don't get the magic back of both that defense and, to a certain extent, that offense. Even though in 2013, that's the Zach Mettenberger year. Yeah, where it's, right. I think, Jeremy Hill in the backfield and then yep, yep. a coming into their own OBJ and Jarvis Landry. That's a really fun LSU offense. But they just can't get a lose uh, SEC games where they didn't before. And they just can't crack the, uh, the ceiling that Les Miles had, I suppose, from the 2007 season and the 2011 season. That brings us, Daniel, to the 2012 Notre Dame Fighting Irish. <laughs> I'm just going to leave your mic open, Ty, and just keep talking. Notre Dame that year went 12-0 and in the regular season. They lost in the title game in Miami, 42-14 to to the Alabama Crimson Tide. You look at the S&P numbers for that Notre Dame team, they're okay on offense. They weren't world beaters, but they're okay. Much better on defense. 
Overall, we both found this interesting. Our friend Bill Connolly's then S&P Plus, before they dropped the end, was 15th. They're the 15th best team, according to Bill's rankings. Right. That's pretty damn significant, isn't it? That that tells you something there right out of the chute. <laughs> yeah, that maybe you're not a national caliber team. Tells you something right out of the chute. They were national caliber, but maybe not national championship caliber. Give me the context. Give me the context, your 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 unbiased context for what led to this point in the 2012 season. So this is this is year three of Brian Kelly, right? Year three. This is year three of, of Brian Kelly. This is Everett Golson starting as a redshirt freshman. This is a talented defense. There, you know, Manti Teo's in the middle. He has, you know, himself in the news later on in the season. I want to say into November with the uh, the catfishing situation that he found himself in. But on all three levels of this defense, there was talented and there was, there was talented players and they produced. There's just no dudes on offense outside of the offensive line. Yeah. But Zach Martin is the dude anchoring this line. Uh, our friend Mike Olick Jr. playing on this line as well. It's just, I don't know what this offense is. And I know you have opinions on the offense, but you look at what they did during the season and it's close call after close call against five and seven team after five and seven team, whether it's Purdue or, I mean, Michigan was fine that season. Um I think BYU was a close call. They have overtime against a good Stanford team. The Oklahoma game was impressive. They go to three overtimes against Pitt and score 29 points in three overtimes. Yeah. This is a Pitt team that lost to Youngstown State, uh, an FCS team, to open up the season. And so this might be a Hall of Fame LRO team, if we're going to use solid verbal parlance, that is just... It only lasts so long, Ty, the right. ability to escape so-so teams. And it's just not going to last against this Alabama defense and Eddie Lacy and Amari Cooper. So this was a very interesting year for Notre Dame. Obviously, they went undefeated. They made it to the national championship. But the the quarterback spot was really up for grabs. And no one, mm-hmm. no one really knew what was going to happen. Eventually, Everett Golson wins the job as a freshman. And that, and that was news in and of itself. But... This was a season, this was a campaign that was almost entirely built on defense. You think of where Mm -hmm. we're at now, with all the news that we read about, how much do you yearn for the days of Bantai Teo's fake girlfriend, Dan? Wouldn't you kill for some news like that right now? I mean, in retrospect, you you feel sort of really sorry for him, that just to find yourself in that situation. I feel feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for him. It was no doubt. A huge shitstorm, let's be clear, that I'm sure he wanted no part of that Notre Dame wanted no part of. Deadspin loved it. It was a great story if you didn't like Notre Dame. But Manti Teo found himself the victim of a catfishing thing. May have embellished a little bit. Let's be clear. But (laughs) nonetheless, Manti Teo had a great year that year. 113 tackles, seven interceptions as the middle linebacker, the anchor of this team. And there was Mm -hmm. defense Defense led by Bob Diaco here. Defensive talent, high-level defensive talent in the form of Lewis Nix and Stefan Tuitt. Capron Lewis Moore, who had a hell of a Mm -hmm. year. There were some ballers on this defense. The offense, though, when you look a little closer at what they had outside of Everett Golson, you really start to wonder, like, wow, how did this how did this happen? What what exactly was this offense in 2012? We talked about the 2011 LSU receiving core. By comparison, let's talk about TJ Jones, (laughs) Tyler Eifert, DeVaris Daniels, and Robbie Toma. And oh, Theo Riddick getting plugged in at both running back and receiver, depending on how Brian Mm -hmm. Kelly needs him. That's what we were talking about here. Not a lot of dudes on that list, I guess, beyond Tyler Eifert, who led the team, I believe, in receiving, right? He led the team in receiving yardage. He was tied for receptions with TJ Jones, both he and TJ Jones. Okay. Both of whom, by the way, went on to play in the NFL. But both of them had not 50 a great balls. sign for the game breaking ability, though. Right. 50 balls caught that season. The offense, as I remember it, constituted mostly of Everett Golson running around until he could figure something out. Right. Which under normal circumstances isn't really that sustainable. 
But he was just, he was crazy athletic. He was sort of fearless, very erratic. But he brought his A game to a night game in Oklahoma, turned in his best performance in Norman. They went on the road. They won that game. And it was from that Mm -hmm. point forward that you started wondering, like, despite all the all the erratic qualities that Golson had, what was he good enough in big moments to sort of get Notre Dame through the end of the year undefeated and over the finish line as one of the top two teams? Eventually, yeah, the answer he, was yes. Just there might have been some he gets up for the lucky finishes in there, but ultimately the defense was good enough. They they bent, they didn't break. The offense got enough moments cobbled together to get them into that final game in Miami against the Alabama Crimson Tide. What was your recollection of getting to that national championship game, Dan? Like, I don't mean from the Notre Dame perspective. I mean from the solid verbal perspective. Do you remember that trip for us? Yeah, it was a good time. We we explored Miami. We ate well. Um, we ultimately decided not to go to the game. <laughs> but we had, I feel like, we what did we stay in, like Fort Lauderdale? We stayed not too far away from yeah. Miami. So I had a hell I, of a time leaving New York in the winter. I fell asleep after Notre Dame fell behind 21 nothing at the start of the second quarter. <laughs> it still got worse, too. It still got worse. So... To give you some context, we had gone to the national championship for the first time in 2010. We skipped the 9-6 year, but we went in 2012. Now, you know, we had contacts here and there, but for this one, we couldn't get anyone to answer us about a press pass. So we said, screw it. We're just going to show up. The whole week, we did interviews in the lobby of some hotel in Miami, wherever the media stayed. It was cold as hell in that lobby. I remember I was freezing cold. (laughs) in that lobby. But we did a ton of interviews. It was a lot of fun. We got invited to some ESPN party. We were all excited about it. We dressed up, remember? It took us two hours to get there. We're lucky we made it at all. We showed up comically late. My lasting Mm -hmm. memory of that was sitting on the chairs outside whatever schwanky club this was, watching the cars, watching the people, and then seeing Josh Elliott walk by. I remember I was transfixed by Josh Elliott at the time. I think he was still working. Was this at the Delano in Miami? The Delano, that's it. The Delano. And you and I... It was super swanky. It was great. Oh, we sat outside. We waited for the car. All these fancy cars are driving by. Doesn't the valet just roll up in our Nissan Versa hatchback that we got? Of course, the solid Versa. Our crappy rental that we deemed the solid Versa. We see Josh Mm -hmm. Elliott rolling by. We're hearing stories about Joe Theismann walking down the road. There we are. We can't really get in anywhere. We went afterwards. We got a Cuban sandwich, went on to do interviews the rest of the week. And then there was that moment for me of internal dialogue. And what what I find after going to, after all of these national championship games, what I find about going to these media events is that if you get enough media people on the college football side in a room for a long enough period of time talking about the same thing, eventually you talk each other out of whatever your preconceived notions were. So coming into this game, I think everyone knew that Alabama was, they were the better team. Everyone knew they were the better team. And everyone felt that way going into this week. But then what happens the closer you get to game time? People talk themselves into... Everett Golson's a big game quarterback. Maybe he doesn't have the numbers, but he just, he wins those moments. Manti Teo, he's got something to prove. You know, this is a defense, right? Don't underestimate that Notre Dame defense. They've been getting it done all year. And so in the end, paying $900 for a ticket, though it sounds like a lot, could be my one shot to see a national championship in my lifetime. (laughs) Keep going. So eventually, despite all of that talk about, I wouldn't want to bet against this Notre Dame defense. (laughs) Bet against them. Eventually, I'm like, screw it. I'm not paying nine hundred dollars for this. No. I don't care. I don't care what Stu Mandel liked that he heard at Media Day. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm not paying nine hundred dollars. I'm glad I did. I did not buy the ticket. I probably spent that money on a new phone or something later in the year. But Notre Dame goes on to lose by a forty-two to fourteen score. It was never really close at all. What was your interesting what if scenario for the 2012 season? Everybody else, literally <laughs> anybody else. No, this was a, this was another excellent Alabama team. You would have needed something special to beat this Alabama team. 
Um, they do, of course, lose a game during the season, but uh, the fact that we got Notre Dame, I remember being bummed about it in 2012. I think they lost to Johnny Manziel in Texas A&M in that ridiculously amazing game. It was 29-24, I believe, was the final score. At home, they lose to Texas A&M. So we'll start there in terms of what ifs. What if Texas A&M got another shot at Alabama? That would have been nice, but you know, A&M loses what they lose. I think they lose two games that season, but just obliterate Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. You have Aaron Murray and Georgia coming up just short against Alabama. So they had their shot. Uh, Oregon themselves had an amazing season. They only lose um, to that year is Stanford, and it's another good Stanford team, but they finished season strong and they beat Kansas State. That would have been at least somewhat interesting because we'll have Marcus Mariota, his freshman season, and this is the best Chip Kelly Oregon team. I would claim this is the best Oregon team of all time. The 2012 team was the deepest, the most well-rounded Oregon team. That would have been an interesting shot for uh, for Alabama. Um even Boise State to a, a certain degree that season. It falls off uh, after that, but what Texas A&M showed against Alabama, redshirt freshman Johnny Menzel at the helm, and wh- how they finished out the season just doing what they did in the Cotton Bowl to Oklahoma, that would have been interesting. But we've already seen it. We saw it. No. They were better than Alabama in 2012. That's just period. It was settled in Tuscaloosa. 2012 Notre Dame lost 42-14. Um, after mm-hmm. this point, though, as we've been asking here, what, what did teams do after this? Well, Notre Dame's an interesting case because Notre Dame, when Brian Kelly took over, was still trying to figure out what to do post-Charlie Weiss. And mm-hmm. as I've said time and again on the show, I think Brian Kelly built the team in a really good way. I think he built from the inside out. He obviously sure. got a ton of talent along the offensive line. We had some ballers on this offensive line. He, this was Harry Highstand's first season, I believe. Yeah, I mean, for Notre Dame. did really well recruiting tight ends. Had a lot of preeminent mm-hmm. tight ends coming through. Um, really just improved things across the board. And don't know if they've had a defense quite this caliber since then. But I would say, ultimately, the talent level has risen. The one missing piece, the missing link that they still have yet to really solve is the quarterback position. This is going to be the first year, provided we have a season, that Notre Dame has had the same starting quarterback for three consecutive years in the Brian Kelly era. That's meaningful. Just hard to do for anybody, though. It's hard to do for anybody, but there has been so much turnover at the quarterback position that I think to some extent it's it's really held them back. So we'll see what it means for them in 2020 or 2021, again, whenever all this happens again. But nonetheless... I think things from here went in a positive direction, despite the fact that Notre Dame didn't get back to a national championship game. They have made it to a playoff. They have been in contention with more consistency than at any point before, certainly the 2012 season. So they've done a good thing since then. They were win eligible against Clemson in their playoff appearance. I'll point that out Let, there on go. the record saying they were win eligible. Uh, could Notre Dame have won? No, they could no. not have won this game. They fell down 35 nothing with, you know, sort of halfway through the third quarter. Eddie Lacy had his way. AJ McCarron to Amari Cooper had their way. You'll remember this was the Brent Musburger, Catherine Webb. Oh, game was it really? Where he noticed AJ McCarron's then girlfriend oh in the crowd, and that became, she was the next, I guess, when Brent Musburger discovered Jen Sturger in the crowd. So, I guess Brett Musburger had an eye for something when games got out of hand. Um, Alabama had their way with Notre Dame. Notre Dame, what held them back? They were flat out not good enough to be in this game. They weren't. They weren't good Alabama. enough. They weren't good. They didn't have the skill talent. They didn't have the skill talent. Um, yes, I, I think 2012 wise, if we're talking about who could have hung in a more impressive fashion. It's obviously A&M since they already won. It's Oregon and Georgia. Beyond that, I'm not crazy about anybody uh, within the context of whatever the top 5, 10, 12 of college football that season. But so it is. That's what we had from 2012. And at least we got to go to Florida and enjoy some warmth. 2013. It's the Auburn Tigers. They went Mm -hmm. 12 and 2. That season, they lost on the road in September, I guess the end of September, to LSU, LSU was number mm-hmm. six at the time, and then obviously to Florida State and Jameis Winston in the title game, but it was 34-31, that game. They had 
a pretty good size lead for like 56 minutes of this game. Maybe not all 56 yes, minutes, did. but they led for 56 minutes or so in this football game. A bit of a second half choke job, which I suspect we'll address when we talk about could they have won, but they did lose. This was the last year of the BCS. The championship went to Jameis Winston. This was a good offense, uh, an okay defense, gave up about 25 points a game. They're not the best, but they were they were electric on offense. According to Bill Connolly's S&P Plus at the time, sixth overall. The context here is that this is the kick six. This is the kick six sure. season, the kick six team. Chris Davis, again, the Auburn player who returned that shorted field goal, 100 plus yards for a touchdown to knock off Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Also led the Auburn Tigers in tackles that year. They had so much talent on defense. It wasn't just Chris Davis. They had D Ford, 10 and a half sacks. Carl Lawson, four sacks. Montrevious mm-hmm. Adams also on this team. The offense led by Nick Marshall and Trey Mason. This was an offense that was super creative in the running game. Trey Mason was a bell cow. Got 317 carries, 1,800 yards, had 23 touchdowns that year. And I would say, ultimately, just a fun team to watch. It's Sammy Coates is a vertical threat. They were just like the persistent wild card that was a ton of fun to watch. I remember going into that title game against Florida State that it, it wasn't apparent to me like how close they'd be able to keep it because everyone was so gung-ho on the Seminoles going into that game. But... They were just so damn gritty that they were really fun mm-hmm. to watch, weren't they? Yes. So this is year one of Gus Malzahn. And so he is the coordinator on the 2010 championship team, the Cam Newton team. He leaves for Arkansas State 2011, comes back in 2012 because Gene Chizik, for all of the good things, it was a Scott Leffler, Brian Van Gorder coordinated Auburn program by the time he was fired. And that's going to get you fired. Ty, I just... I assume you agree. That's just going to get you fired ultimately. And so they're unable to develop a quarterback. Nick Marshall transfers in. Obviously, everybody knows the story. A Georgia Georgia corner, high school quarterback, but a Georgia corner. He transfers to Auburn. So he's a first-year quarterback with a first-year coach. And Auburn they have to to sort of sneak their way in almost to the to the point where they're considered a national contender. They open up the first BCS rankings at number 11. That's October 20th. So that's that's the ground that they need to make up. They get to number nine on November 3rd. They move up to number seven on November 10th. So we have Alabama at the top of the sport, the defending national champ. They lose the kick six game. Florida State's been incredible all season long. Jameis Winston's in the news for all of the right and wrong reasons, but they keep winning. Florida State does, and they have this incredible upperclassman-laden team. So they end up at number one uh, December 1st. Ohio State is right there, number two, but then ultimately Ohio State loses in the the Big Ten championship game. Auburn wins on the kick six game. Auburn wins the SEC championship game, and Auburn thus gets to the national championship game. By the way, that SEC championship game was maybe my all-time favorite. Oh, so good, right? Auburn game. It was like 50-something to 40-something. You have this, the the crazy good receivers for Mizzou. It's casual dress, James Franklin. It's uh, Nick Marshall and Trey Mason going everywhere. Just a, a wall-to-wall entertaining game. Auburn ends up in the championship game. Could Auburn have won? Absolutely, 100%. The Tigers could have won this national championship. They sort of go into a shell in the second half. You know, they they miss opportunities even in the first half as they build a, was it, 21-3 lead at halftime? Yeah. Yeah, it's 21-3 lead at halftime. They go into a shell. They score late, but Florida State drives down the field and scores with almost no time left. And Auburn only has a prayer of a kick return to to try and win the game, and it doesn't work out. The interesting thing is Auburn didn't have a good enough defense to be a national championship winner, just like in 2010. They, the defense did not come anywhere close to leading the way for the Tigers. But the fact is, the offense was amazing enough on the ground, and they had a knack for surviving. I don't know if you remember the 2013 Auburn-Texas A&M game. That was sheer survival from Auburn. And you know what? 
great teams survive and they they figure out how to win and they win moments. You have the kick six, you have the Georgia game, if you remember, the, the oh, yeah. tip ball to Ricardo Lewis. Yeah. So they're somehow finding ways to survive. That was kind of was 43-38 was that Georgia game. So they don't get they don't get a lot in the way of stops, but they get a ton in the way of Nick Marshall and sort of third and eight. Nobody's there. Oh, there's Nick Marshall running for 8.2 yards. They got a lot of that out of Nick Marshall and Trey Mason that season. And it should have been good enough for Auburn to, to beat Florida State because they came out with such an amazing game plan. It was Nick Marshall here. It was Trey Mason there. They were slicing and dicing a very good Florida State defense, but ultimately the calm, the poise, the play calling of Florida State to crawl back into this game wins out and, uh, Auburn was right there. So the answer to our first question or whatever question is yes. Auburn absolutely could have won. What held them back? Second half play calling execution. Is there a what if to you about 2013 and the teams involved? The what if to me is what if the kick six doesn't happen? Right. What if the kick six doesn't happen? And instead of Auburn, we're talking about Alabama against Florida State. This is a really good Alabama Mm -hmm. team too. This was A.J. McCarron. This was TJ Yeldon, Kenyon Drake, and Derrick Henry all on the same team, same backfield. Right. Which is asinine. <laughs> three, mm-hmm. three NFL caliber running backs. You also had Amari Cooper had the most receptions on that team. Uh, Christian Jones, Kevin Norwood, OJ Howard, the Andrew White. There were some ballers on this offense, to say the least. And that's not even talking about the defense, which had C.J. Mosley and Landon Collins, Taha Clinton Dix, Sean Robinson. It's like, there were some players on this team. I, I'm not too hung up on the what-ifs. Louisville had a really nice season that year. Um, I don't know. I just, the, nothing really jumps out to me from a what-if. I don't think even as, as good as Oregon was that year, they lost a couple games that they shouldn't have. Well, they should have because they lost them, but they weren't good enough to beat Florida State that season. So I'm happy that we had Auburn getting the chance, especially with how they finished out the season, to get a to get a shot at Florida State. Just a bummer if you're an Auburn fan, obviously, that they couldn't close the door. Where did Auburn go from here? Well, the next year. Eight and five. The year after that, seven and six. The year after that, eight and five again. It wasn't until 2017 that they had a double-digit win season and they finished tenth in the AP poll. But you know, 2018, eight and five again. 2019, this past season, nine and four. A good team. Questions at quarterback. We talked a lot about the 2019 team. Fair to say they have not gotten back to that level since the 2013 season. They've had some good squads. They've had good players for sure. But um, part of, I think, the consternation around the Gus Malzahn era is trying to recapture some of that magic. Ty, it was pretty magical the way they almost beat UCF, though. That was well, sure. There was pixie dust in the, what was that, the Peach Bowl a couple of years ago? So there's that at least. Um, yeah, no, they haven't really fully gotten there. They've made their way through coordinators, and I can't even count the stories of Gus Malzahn calling plays, not calling plays. I know. Retaining play calling duties, taking, giving away play calling duties. So the, the good thing is the defense has solidified for Auburn, if that was the concern in 2010 and 2013, which is fair to say. The defense has become incredible. They are probably they're probably just a developed quarterback away from contending for the national championship again. And, you know, they were in the SEC championship game not too long ago. This is a team that's still there. So great move hiring Gus Malzahn with even with uh, the consternation that comes with coaching at Auburn if you're a head coach. Final team this show, the 2014 Oregon Ducks, your Oregon Ducks. Of note here, this is the first year of the playoff. Yes, it is. First year of the playoffs. So Florida State wins the national championship for 2013. They go into a playoff semifinal against the Oregon Ducks. They lose. They get drilled 59 to 20 in the Rose Bowl. This is an Oregon team that went 13 and 2 this season. They lost at home at the start of September to Arizona. And then they went on to lose 42-20 to to Ohio State in the national championship game. Really good offense, fourth according to the S&P. Really good defense, 17th according to the S&P. The notable player for the Oregon Ducks this year was Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota was a freaking beast. Won the Heisman, almost 4,500 yards, 
45 touchdowns to just four interceptions. He also rushed for close to 800 yards, had another 16 offensive touchdowns, even caught a touchdown. That's how versatile he was. He was really the focal point of this team, and for good reason. He was unstoppable, right? Just utterly unstoppable this year. Yeah, this is the best offense of the Oregon era, which, you know, the the spread hurry up era we're no, no longer in as we watch Oregon sort of become more of a power team. But yeah, this was the best offense in the country by, I think, a considerable distance in 2014. Ultimately, though, Oregon and Mark Helfrich make a terrible decision. They, Nick Aliotti retires after the 2013 season. Uh, I think they beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl in Mac Brown's final game for for Texas and Mark Helfrich replaces him with Don Pelham who is a promotion from linebacker coach instead of going out and finding the best possible candidate Mark Helfrich goes with continuity instead and defensively it is disappointing in year 1 which is the national championship season and it turns into a full-on disaster that culminates in even Brady Hoke failing to turn things around yeah. at Oregon but that's in the the near future stuff but Oregon rides its offense to this national championship game. They're probably not as talented as the Florida State team. They trounced, but Florida State was exhausted and just not on at all on the same page and fully willing to give up. And they lose that game. I was there. It was absolutely happening in front of my eyes, Florida State giving up and just wanting to leave. Um, so Oregon gets... Uh, the nod to the national championship game. They meet Ohio State, who ultimately run literally past Alabama. This is the Blake Sims Alabama team 2014. It's Zeke Elliott. It's Cardale Jones, third stringer. Yeah. Uh, JT Barrett gets hurt against, I think it's Michigan. He gets hurt later on in the season. And of course, Braxton Miller gets hurt before the season even begins. So they're down to their third string quarterback. And Oregon, what holds them back is probably... A combination of losing a lot on offense. They lose their left tackle before the season starts. So that doesn't really fully count because they had the whole season to figure out things without him. But they lose their starting tight end and they lose three receivers, I believe. So it's uh, Devin Allen, Darren Carrington to suspension uh, and Braylon Addison early on in the season. So they're they're down a lot of firepower on offense. And defensively, they're down their best corner who gets hurt in practice after the Rose Bowl. And so they're they're pretty hobbled, but ultimately they don't have the dudes on defense uh, after. I mean, on the line they do. They have a couple first-round picks on the line, but at linebacker, the secondary is just, it's not, you know, they don't have winter wonders, tie, as we like to say. Right. And so they generate turnovers. They get to Cardale Jones enough, but they're not able to string together drives. I know they score. I think they jump out to a 7 nothing lead. They generate turnovers, but they're not ever able to capitalize and it's just Tom Herman and Zeke Elliott yeah. over and over and over again. I was there. It was not pleasant. If you were there and you were an Ohio State fan, I'm sure it had to have been incredible. <laughs> but that was ultimately that's what kept them back is they couldn't tackle in space at all. Yeah. This is, I, you know, not to go back to the the playoff thing. But this is a super interesting year, not just because it was the first year of the playoff, but because of the matchups. Right. Right. You had mm-hmm. returning national champion, Florida State, Jameis Winston. You had national mm-hmm. championship aspirations for the new Heisman winner in Marcus Mariota. You had on the other side of things, an Alabama team that was clearly in the midst of its run going up against an Ohio State team that was playing its third string quarterback and went on this amazing run in its own right through the end of the regular season, the Big Ten Championship, the playoffs, and now into the national championship. Right. So a lot of interesting storylines that were waiting for us in the first year of the college football playoff. Um, The question that I pose to you on our super secret chat, where did you come down on the 2010 Oregon team that we talked about a bit ago versus this 2014 team? Because at least if you look up and down the roster, you can make a case that the 2010 version was an all-around, like, more well-rounded team. Sure, definitely. Whereas this 2014 team certainly had some headliners in the form of, you know, DeForest Buckner and Royce Freeman, who was only a freshman at the time, and Marcus Mariota, who went on to great things. But it just felt like, in looking up and down the roster, that maybe that 2010 version was more well-rounded 
It was just that the high, the peaks were higher in 2014, and perhaps they were hampered a bit by the likes of Don Pelham. Yeah, I, I think 2014 was a better team. Defense was never going to fully win Oregon a national championship. It had to be passable, and it was definitely passable. It was actually pretty good in 2010 and not great in 2014. But yeah, the the fact is the best thing on the field, if you're going to play those two teams against each other, is the 2014 Oregon offense. They have the better results during the season. They don't have as many scares, even though they do lose a game, and the 2010 team uh, doesn't lose a game. Um their highs were just higher. They they beat a very good Michigan State team. They eventually run away from them, and the 2010 team doesn't have that kind of non-conference uh, check mark on their schedule. So I, I think it's 2014 because of Marcus Mariota and what just how just ludicrous that offense was in his fourth season in Eugene, third season as starter. He took a redshirt year. Um, it, the the if you're talking about winter wonders, it, the absurdity of Marcus Mariota wins out. I think that's right. Okay. Is so, there a team, though? Because I have an answer for a team that I think could have challenged Ohio State. Oh, go ahead. I think that year's TCU team. And I know we had that 61-58 loss to Baylor earlier on in the season, and there was that controversy. You know, Ohio State loses early on to Virginia Tech, and they ultimately get into the playoff as the number four team uh, over TCU or Baylor. And I get all of that frustration if you're a Baylor fan or a TCU fan. I probably go frogs here because I think they were good enough on defense that I would have trusted them more against Cardale Jones and Zeke Elliott than I would have Oregon, though ultimately the Ducks undoing. And to have Trevon Boykin, to have the type of talent that he had around him, I think they just completely blitzkrieg uh, Ole Miss that season in the bowl game. It's like 42 to three or something like that. TCU was, they, they were on a war path. And so that is the answer with as, and I thought Ohio state did an amazing job adjusting to, to the speed of Oregon's offense. Their defensive line was everywhere. Their linebackers were everywhere. I still think there's a good chance they beat TCU just like they beat Oregon, but that's the clear answer to me that year's frogs, not going back to 2010 because I don't think they're as talented. I don't think they're as, as battle tested as the 2014 team was, I'm going TCU. Everybody has a bad day. You give up 60, that's fine. Ultimately, they still had a really, really strong defense. That's the curiosity to me. What the Frogs look like. Because I know what Baylor looked like when they had a chance to put an exclamation point on the season and they lose. So I'm going TCU here. That TCU team scored 46.5 points per game and allowed under 20, allowed 19 per game. A big year for Trevon Boykin almost... Well, he did. He got the 3,900 yards, 33 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Josh Doxson had a big year that year. Remember him? Of course. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Um, Baylor loses one of the weirder games, by the way, in their bowl game. I think it's the Cotton Bowl that season. They lose 42-41. to 41. Michigan State comes back. They just decide to completely sell out to stop Baylor on the ground. Baylor finishes with like 700 yards through the air and negative 40 on the ground. What a weird, fun game. So as we look at this grouping here, 2010 Mm -hmm. Oregon, 2011 LSU, 2012 Notre Dame, 2013 Auburn, 2014 Oregon. Do we take Mm -hmm. any of them over 2005 USC? Yes. So I I probably take the 2014 Oregon team. I probably take the 2013... That Auburn team, I don't know. The defense is tough. But I take good passing teams. So I'm not taking Notre Dame. I saw what Oregon was able to do against Pete Carroll, better Pete Carroll defenses later on in his tenure. So that has me confident that that sort of spread with the talent that they ultimately built up on offense. I'm going to say the 2014 Oregon team. I think Gus Malzahn is able to, to, with a running quarterback, just like what we saw a weakness of USC's that year in Nick Marshall, albeit different physically. I think they have a very good chance. And 2011 LSU with how good that defense is, I think they also have a chance. But I, I'm favoring, I think, Auburn and Oregon because that defense just did not have the speed to tackle in space and the ability to tackle in space. That was ultimately their undoing against Texas. So I think, those are the two teams I think I'm taking. Yeah, I think I think the Oregon and or Auburn 
answer here is interesting just because of yeah. how both teams use the quarterback. Both teams played mm-hmm. with a lot of tempo. Um, right. And we're very good at utilizing space. And, I and think- the defense are used to defending speed. The Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush would get his against anybody ever. But in terms of what USC had in uh, horsepower-wise on offense, yes, they would have scored against 2014 Oregon and 2013 Auburn. But there's experience in dealing with speed from those defenses. So, yeah, I, I think with those quarterbacks and those offensive systems and those offensive coaches, yeah, they would have they put a lot of points on that 2005 USC defense. That 2013 Auburn defense was pretty good too. I mean, it didn't it didn't necessarily rise to the level of elite when you look at the numbers. I think I had what 45th or something in the S and P plus, but there were some players on that team. I mean, you had Chris Davis. And they came back to play there. against an all time Florida State team. They did. They had Chris Davis back there, who we talked about with the kick six and led the team in tackles. But again, some really good pass rushers up front who could change the mm-hmm. game, who could move the line. And that that would have been an interesting combination to see. I don't know. I'm I want to hear from people on this one again. What was that email yeah. address at the top? What did you say? Solidverbal at gmail.com. Did you say Juno or Gmail? I didn't I didn't hear you. Gmail. Or Gmail. I mean we can register Juno, but we're not gonna check it. Solidverbal at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts wherever you're watching the show, listening to the show. Hope you can tell your friends about this. Hope you're staying safe and washing your hands and trying to enjoy the time indoors as much as possible. Who do we got next week? Final installment. I think it's all Alabama and Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Let's see who we have. Um, so we have Clemson losing the 2019 season national championship. And then we have Alabama losing the 2018 season national championship. Then we have Georgia on the last second losing the 2017 season national championship. Then we again have Alabama losing to Deshaun Watson and Clemson. And the year before that, we have Deshaun Watson and Clemson losing to, I believe, Jake Coker and the Crimson Tide. Wow. So we're going to really be pretty deep with three teams, essentially. Yep. (laughs) Yep. 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 All right. Well, email us again at solidverbal at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts on what you heard here today. We appreciate any and all feedback. Don't forget to follow along out on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Check out the subreddit. Started, owned, operated by our good friend Peter. Solidverbal.reddit.com. If you want to get in on the fun, talk about all of these topics and much, much more. And uh, yeah, tell your friends about the Solid Verbal. We'll be here all off-season, all quarantine, all pandemic long. Hopefully, we'll have football to talk about soon. But in the meantime, hope you enjoyed this discussion. Dan, it's been fun. Agree. Even though we talked about Oregon and Notre Dame losing and embarrassing themselves, I'm still there. For that guy over there, my good friend Dan Rubenstein for myself, Ty Hildenbrand. Thank you so much for downloading, for listening, for playing along with us at home. Until next time, stay solid. Peace.